Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's August 1st, 2018. I get a call from one of my investigators. Said we had a shooting victim on Sunnybrook Drive and it didn't look good. Fulton County 911, where's your emergency? Um, yes, ma'am. I actually, my gun was tampered and I'm so sorry. I, I, I just tell my boyfriend in the night. I'm so sorry. We actually had uh, the perpetrator admitting to shooting the victim on the 911 call before we even arrived at the scene. Ms. Higdon told us she did it. I'm Lieutenant Chris Wilson. I was the first investigator to arrive on the scene. What kind of gun was it? It was a Glock 43. I was just grabbing it. I did not know there was one of the cameras. I was grabbing it to bring it to our bed. Basically, we had a, a, a young man down. Uh, not responsive, and also a young woman who was frantic, frantic, very emotional. She was just pleading for help. I cannot lose him. I cannot lose him. I cannot lose him. Look, come on. Look, calm down for me. Calm down. Calm down. I'm so sorry. I want to know how this happened because I don't even understand it now. The gun going off. I don't even see how like it even got him because I wasn't even like really pointing it directly at him in the first place. I was able to look over any type of evidence, any type of forensics that, that could have been involved. Trying to make sense of what might have happened in that living room that night. Feel like a big fight here. I knew then that we we could be possibly looking at a homicide. She had the right for my assailant. I 
The confession's on this video, and we can't hear it. There's no sound there. There's sound, but it's just a, a noise, constant noise all the way through it. Ladies and gentlemen, please rise. This is malice murder. This is felony murder. This gun did not discharge on its own. Mary Catherine Higdon was angry. She lost control and she pulled the trigger. I didn't even know it was chambered. I never wanted to hurt him. I never wanted anything like that. There may be people watching this who find it hard to believe what you're saying right now. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? All I know is what's in my heart and I know what happened that night. I loved Stephen and I would never ever do anything to hurt him. Police body cameras captured the chaotic scene. The night Stephen Freeman was shot and killed by his girlfriend of seven years, Mary Catherine Higdon, inside the home they shared. Well, he's still got a pulse, okay? So let's work on him, okay? Mary Catherine Higdon is in the living room, and so is Stephen Freeman. He's laying right here on a mattress. Mary Catherine is hovering over him, and he's literally dying in front of her. Calm down, okay? Calm down. He's alive. Mary Catherine told the police that her gun went off accidentally as she was handing it to Stephen. We like to keep it on the side of the bed at night for protection. None of our guns that we've had around our house were ever, you know, chambered. There was never a bullet in the chamber. It was never my intention to ever injure him or kill him. Those words ring hollow to Stephen's grieving mother, Jennifer Freeman. Have you spoken to Mary Catherine Higdon since this all happened? I have not. She will never give me an answer that's going to be good enough for me because this should never have happened. Stephen was 23 years old. Everybody just loved Stephen because he was just sweet, you know, just a good kid. Stephen's heart was huge. He was a devoted son. To the most wonderful woman in the world. Jennifer treasures the note he wrote her after she had gone back to school and completed her college degree. And know that if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish all of your hopes and dreams and more. I love you to the moon and back, Stephen. And that was our thing. It was either I love you more or I love you to the moon and back. That was our little thing. What's up, Stephen? Stephen had a happy childhood, growing up in the town of Griffin, Georgia. Always had a smile on his face, always. And that was from the time that he was a little bitty baby 
through adulthood. He loved the outdoors, loved it. That was probably his passion above all else was to be outside. Duck hunting, deer hunting, fishing, camping. That was where he found his peace and his comfort. Mary Catherine's father, Tom Higdon, and older sister, Sarah, say she too was a happy child. Then here's your host, Mary Catherine. Who liked to put on a show. Bye. She always was the entertainment in the room, no matter what age. She's just fun-loving. remember one time she had a pet frog that she used to walk around the neighborhood with a shoestring. <laughs> so, um, we would say our life would be boring without her. Stephen and Mary Catherine began dating in high school. The romance quickly became pretty serious, and they moved in together after graduating. Stephen worked at repairing roofs. Mary Catherine was a preschool teacher's aide. Did you like Mary Catherine? I did. I did. I loved her. She would eat at our house on Sunday night with my parents and our extended family, and we certainly considered Mary Catherine like a daughter. He was just, you know, he's just like my best friend that loved me and that was there for me and just listened to me. And we just really hit it off great. We were just... I guess you'd say like two peas in a pod. Mary Catherine shared Stephen's passion for the outdoors. Before long, she won over his closest friends, Thomas Skinner, Andrew McCree, and Chase Pruitt. What did you like about her? That she made my friend happy. I mean, most girls won't even get in the woods for 30 minutes. If she'll go fish with you for four hours or go deer hunt with you, then that's awesome, man. I'm glad you found somebody that makes you happy. The couple also shared a passion for guns. How many guns did Stephen own? Um, he had a couple shotguns, a uh, couple between, rifles. Around 10, maybe. I know no, he, I probably had, yeah, probably around that. Probably. Yeah, she would brag about how she, would, she knew more about guns than Stephen like, or yeah, us. Yeah. That is because Mary Catherine landed a job selling guns at a local sporting goods store, where Thomas Skinner also worked. Before you're able to sell a gun, you're trained and taught how to handle it, you know, like how to hand somebody a gun. Do you believe her when she says, I just held it up and it went off? No, no, no not for a second. Yet that was the first story Mary Catherine told police when they arrived at the house that night. This is a Glock model 380. To Detective Adam Trammell, it also seemed like an unlikely story. Is it possible for this gun to just go off accidentally? Not from my experience the trigger would have to be pulled. This is, this is not the weapon that was used. That's correct. It's just the type of gun. The type of gun. Can you show us the process of loading the weapon and firing it? Yes, I can. First, you would load your ammunition. You would insert the magazine. You would wreck the slide. And fire the weapon. Police were also suspicious for another reason. She's claiming it was accidental discharge. Uh, but based on some of the evidence we've seen in the house while we were in there tending to him, uh, it looked like they'd been fighting. Lieutenant Chris Wilson saw the evidence firsthand. Now, of course, there are new homeowners here and everything here is it looks very nice and, and well kept. That wasn't the case that night. There was food. Slung everywhere, on the cabinets, on the floor, 
uh, food thrown there. I guess it looked like they had been throwing it at each other? It looked like there had been some, some food tossed around here. As Mary Catherine Higdon was taken in for questioning, police knew there had to be much more to this story. What do you think happened that night? Watch more of the police body camera footage on Facebook at 48 Hours. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Stephen was the calm in the storm. We used to laugh and say he would outlive everybody because he didn't stress out about anything. Jennifer Freeman struggles to understand how her son's life could have ended so violently at the hands of a woman he loved, Mary Catherine Higdon. Listen to me. We're, we're going to walk through this, okay? We're going to walk through We're going to walk through it. It's all right, okay? Just come with us. Come on, get your cigarettes. They took you to the police station. They mm -hmm. didn't take you in handcuffs. They just wanted to ask you some questions. Mm -hmm. You agreed to cooperate. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Marshall says you had the right to remain silent. But detectives Adam Trammell and Chris Wilson found the story that Mary Catherine told them in the interrogation room hard to believe. Mary Catherine told the police that Stephen asked for the gun, so she claims she tossed it to him. Now, he's in the living room on a mattress right there. And she says when she tossed it, the gun went off. When she said she tossed the gun, that didn't match what I would think a normal person would do. It also didn't match what she told the investigators at the scene. She told them she was simply handing the gun to Stephen, not tossing it. And that's when she accidentally shot him below the neck. Lieutenant Wilson decided to confront her. kind of lost your cool on her. Not really. That's the tactic. At, at that point, um, we weren't buying the story. So we slapped my hands. That's how I said, stop lying to me. Tell me the truth right now, last time. What did she do? She said, I did it out of anger. Yeah, just like that. Believing that they had an ironclad confession on tape, they arrested Mary Catherine Higdon for murder. But there was a big problem. There was nothing but feedback on most of the recording. And it couldn't be fixed. Oh no, what can we do? So at this point, all you've got to say what she said was what you two remember. That's correct. But they still had the forensic evidence that convinced them Stephen's shooting 
was no accident. So her story was, I don't keep around in the chamber. Correct. Okay. What did you find on the weapon that said to you, hmm, I don't know if I believe that. It looks like she loaded it that night. There was cooking grease on the magazine. There was also grease on the slide of the gun, which tells me that the magazine had to be out at one point. Rounds loaded, slid back into the gun, and racked. Mary Catherine had told police she was cooking dinner for Stephen that night, the same dinner they found thrown on the kitchen floor. She's just very loud, very, very dramatic, very always over the top, looking to go start an issue. As investigators began to question the couple's friends, they discovered this teenage love affair had turned toxic. And most of the blame was being placed on Mary Catherine. Eight, seven times out of ten, she'd yell, she was bitching at Stephen for something. Stephen would often walk out during an argument and block Mary Catherine's number from his phone. That's because she would call him obsessively, according to his co-worker Elijah Varela. Some mornings, several different occasions, he would get to work, and before we even got to the first job, he had 30 missed calls from her. Like She was just blowing him off the line. Like. His friends also told detectives Stephen feared she was unstable and dangerous. I, I know that she's pulled out on him before. Oh, has she? Oh, I know that. I know that. He's told me. I mean, I know. I mean, I know she's done it three or four times, like at least. Each one of you was told by Stephen mm -hmm. that Mary Catherine pointed a gun at him. Is that correct? Yes. yes. As soon as they said he was shot, I knew what happened. I knew Mary Catherine did. On April twenty first, two thousand eighteen, three months before he was killed, Stephen texted his friend Andrew. MK is running around screaming at the top of her lungs outside. And now she's trying to shoot me and herself. As alarming as that sounds, it was another alleged incident the following month that left Stephen badly shaken. He said, you know, she's pointed a gun at me multiple times. He goes, but uh, this time was the only time I saw a look in her eyes and I was actually scared that she might shoot me. So he came over to my house that night. Did Stephen ever report that to the police? To my knowledge, no. I think he like, thought he could handle it, or I don't yeah. know. He said he cares for her. He doesn't want her to go to jail. The relationship was on again, off again, and it was a roller coaster ride right up to the end. On July 30th, 2018, two days before Stephen's death, he texted, Good morning, beautiful. Mary Catherine, have a great day. Stephen, you too. Love you. But by the next day, I said, are you and Mary Catherine arguing? And he said, yes, ma'am, I'm not going back there tonight. And he said, I'm running from Satan. Stephen slept at a friend's house, ignoring Mary Catherine's calls and text messages. The next evening, she had prepared dinner. And Stephen was again MIA. You called him a lot on that day. 910, 912, 917, 923, yes. 929, 938. Mm -hmm. why, why so many times? I guess because it is like irritating. I need to know if I need to just, you know, make me a dinner. I'm trying to wait to eat with you. It's just one answer. Are you coming home, yes or no? She found out through Stephen's mother that he was still at his friend's house. So once you told her where he was... She went after him. Yes. Of course I didn't realize that it was going to escalate, that I was going to escalate as it did. And I have guilt to this day because I 
I responded because I didn't want to lie to her. Stephen was already driving home with Thomas Skinner. She comes out of nowhere riding our tail, like right on our bumper. And she pulled up beside my truck, like right beside Stephen, rolled her window down, and she started yelling at him. She said, are you coming home now? And he said, yes, calm down, I'm coming home. But she was like screaming at the top of, his, uh, at the top of her lungs. Less than two hours later, Stephen Freeman was dead. While police believe it is an open and shut case of murder, fueled by Mary Catherine's anger, her defense attorneys say not so fast. They claim there was a side to Stephen Freeman that no one knew. What do you think is the strongest evidence against Mary Catherine Higdon? See more of the evidence at 48hours.com. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and this is my life of crime. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. If Stephen Freeman truly feared that Mary Catherine might shoot him, why didn't he leave the relationship for good? I played that over my head a million times why I couldn't finally walk away. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe yeah. we should have done more. Maybe we could have done more. But Mary Catherine denies she ever pointed a gun at Stephen. That is, until the night she killed him. Well, let me, let me just read a text, and, and I want to be specific here. Uh, Stephen texts you this. I know you pointed a gun at me a bunch of times, but the last time you did, it scared the bleep out of me. Mm-hmm. Did you point a gun at him? No. No, like, I didn't, because when he was saying that I had pulled a gun to kill myself, I was thinking about hurting myself. If true, it wasn't the first time Mary Catherine's father told detectives... Both he and Stephen were concerned about her suicide threats. And I didn't realize until after he died that she would tell him that if he didn't come home, that she was going to kill herself. Um, I think that's why he stayed. But by July of 2018, Stephen had had enough. He made plans to move to another town with his friend Thomas and not tell Mary Catherine, according to prosecutor Kate Leonard. All of the signs were that she was unraveling. He was planning on moving while she was at work. He never got the chance. Mary Catherine shot him two days before he was supposed to leave. Did it seem like a pretty straightforward case? Yes, yes. 
there was never really any question that, that she shot him. She was the only one in the house besides him. She confessed to doing it. What we're looking at is uh, what we call the murder board. The prosecution claims it discovered Mary Catherine had revised or added details to her story 10 different times. The 911 dispatcher asks her um, what happened, and she says that she was just grabbing the gun to bring it to bed. Remember, Mary Catherine said she didn't know the gun was loaded. Then... Once officers arrive on scene, then um, she starts telling the officers that, uh, that she was handing Stephen the gun and that it accidentally went off. According to detectives, she told them in the interrogation room the gun went off when she tossed it to Stephen. The story you first told them mm -hmm. was not true. Yes. I knew that, obviously, it was a lie, but I just... I guess I was just scared. Then police say she admitted, shooting him in anger. But she told her father and her sister that she and Stephen had been arguing and that she shot him in self-defense. He just threw every, everything that I made in my face. And I just picked up the gun just to just scare him, just to get him out of the house because I was scared. When you raised the gun at him, did you say anything to him? I just said, get that blank out of my house. And what did he do? I, rem I remember. I remember him leaning down, and then he just—it just happened all so fast. And then he leaned down, and then he lunged at me, and I got scared, and I kind of reared back. And then just the next thing I know, he was just—I'm sorry. Um, and then he was just bleeding. She never tells the police that he lunged at her. She has every opportunity to tell the police that he lunged at her. But she doesn't do that. Mary Catherine says she was embarrassed to tell police that Stephen had a history of violence towards her. Did Stephen ever hit you? Yes. Not so much like where it was like physical like punches or anything. Just like grabs there. There was one time where, you know, he smacked me across the face. A lot of times um, he just kind of, you know, like, like popped me on the back of my head. But Stephen's friends insist she was the violent one in the relationship. You saw Mary Catherine hit Stephen. Yes. I Did you see it? Multiple yeah. times. Um, one face, time, chest, shoulders, everything. One time um, she slapped him and he kind of grabbed her like she slapped him hard and he kind of like grabbed her and was like, don't hit me. But Sarah Higdon believes her sister. She says she saw bruising on Mary Catherine's arm two weeks before the shooting. And I wish that I would have taken a picture of it and she wouldn't tell me at first. But eventually I pulled her off to the side and I was like, what is that? And she was like, well, Stephen just grabbed me a little bit too hard. And I was like, what are you talking about? But investigators believe the forensic evidence shows that far from defending herself, Mary Catherine shot Stephen in cold blood while he was simply sitting on their bed. There's very little blood anywhere except for right here on this corner. It's all in one area because Stephen didn't move. It tells me that this story of him lunging at her doesn't really add up. The thought being, if he had gotten up and started to make his way toward her, there would have been some blood that moved beyond the bed. Correct.
everyone made a rush to judgment. Mary Catherine's attorneys, public defenders George Carbajal and Michael Granums, insist Stephen could have started to get up and go after her. And they say she had good reason to be afraid because of his alleged history of abuse. What kind of abuse was Mary Catherine subjected to? Um, pretty much every kind of telling her that um, she needed to be a certain way, showing where all the money's going uh, every moment of the day, um, making her let him know where she's going to be every moment of the day. And what physical assault? I think that he hit her on the back of the head. And he literally kicked her out of the bed with such force that she flew and hit her head on the on the door frame. Did Mary Catherine ever call 911 to report any of this abuse? No. She always thought that it was her and that she needed to do something better. And it was her fault that she was making Stephen angry. You know, some of Stephen's friends say that she was the abusive one. Mm -hmm. Verbally pointed a gun at him more than Nobody once. Nobody ever saw that. All of that came from Stephen. The defense team claims it uncovered evidence of Stephen's Jekyll and Hyde personality in an angry tirade of text messages that Stephen sent to Mary Catherine a year prior. The 63 pages or whatever of hateful, horrible, threatening text messages, that was what really, really corroborated it. These texts are from an old phone of Mary Catherine's that prosecutors didn't even know existed. Stephen had discovered that Mary Catherine slept with a friend of his while they were broken up. The language is so ugly, we can't repeat most of it. But there was also a photo of him holding up a dead fish with the caption, This is you, bitch, as well as a threat, I'm going to effing wreck you for wrecking me. Did you know he was talking to her like that? I didn't, but I do know that he was a human being and he was hurt. He was angry, and I don't condone the language. I don't condone what he did. The defense claims this is just the tip of the iceberg. As Mary Catherine takes the stand at her trial, her testimony takes the courtroom by surprise. What is the red room? Um, it's like one of those, I guess, sex rooms out of Fifty Shades of Grey. Tonight's 48 Hours will continue. Baldwin County Superior Court is now in session. The Honorable Scott L. Ballard is judge presiding. Thank you. Y'all be seated, please. On June 17, 2019, almost a year after Stephen Freeman's death, 24-year-old Mary Catherine Higdon goes on trial for murder. What do you think is your strongest evidence? The physical evidence, the grease on the gun, that there was no other person present, that all of the blood is in one area. There's nothing that shows that he was moving or coming at her at the time that he was shot. The text messages of her trying to get him to come home, calling over and over and over. Prosecutor Kate Leonard says the physical evidence supports her theory that Mary Catherine shot Stephen in anger after he hadn't come home for dinner and ignored her calls and text messages. But there were still some hurdles to overcome. If you want to tell me what, what went on tonight, you know, in the very beginning, 
That is your confession. Sure. And it's pretty much inaudible. Yes. How do you mess up the confession? Um, especially when it's such a powerful confession. And then there was this. Gun is in an evidence bag because we secured it when we made entry. First responders moved the gun found next to Stephen Freeman, claiming they feared that Mary Catherine was reaching for it. We didn't take pictures of it before we removed it. Before we moved it. All right. As a prosecutor, when you heard the cops say, we moved the gun, we moved it for safety reasons, why did that bother you? Because you could just as easily have moved her for safety reasons. Leave the gun where it is. That's rule number one. You don't mess with the murder weapon. Your Honor, the defense called Mary Catherine Dignan. Now, facing the possibility of life in prison, Mary Catherine Higdon made the risky decision to take the stand. The whole truth, so help you God. Yes. When it was good, it was good, but when it was bad, it was bad. Mary Catherine tearfully paints a portrait of Stephen as an abusive and controlling boyfriend. And he'd expect, you know, his clothes all ready and folded and his shoes where it needed to be. He'd want me to make sure his shower was started for him. While he often seemed to have one foot out the door, Mary Catherine says Stephen would angrily accuse her of cheating on him. And I was like, Stephen, you saw that we were just in there talking, and he just said, no, I know, you, you know, you're just a whore. The defense introduces those ugly, threatening messages that Stephen sent okay. after finding out so Mary Catherine had slept with one of his friends. Before. At least now I know what you once again were, what everyone told me not to get with when I picked your scrub ass up out of the mud and made you bitch. Mary Catherine claims his texts frightened her because the relationship had become violent. He said, the more you talk, the more you get punished when I get home. How did you understand the threat of being punished when you would get home? He'd, you know, smack me around. Sometimes he would grab me and, and shake me and say, you know, why can't you just do better and be better and just do what I tell you to do? The details are graphic, okay. but they are just the beginning. He said, I miss you too much. I'm coming home to you and you're about to get it bad. You're going to the red room tonight. What is the red room? Um, it's like one of those, I guess, sex rooms off of Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't want out. I just, I'm not exactly jumping at the opportunity to get whipped and tortured in your red room of pain. It wasn't any specific room, but it was just when like, we would bring out like these certain things that we had bought. What would happen in the red room? Um, he'd just tie me up and hit me. Mary Catherine tells the court that on two occasions, the rough sex turned into rape. One time, she says it was just after the couple had returned from a trip to Disney World. He started hurting me really, really bad. I said, Stephen, please stop. And he said, he said that since he spends so much money on me at Disney, I need to give him what he deserves. To get up there and call a dead man a rapist, that's disgusting. She had never told anyone that before. How convenient to wait until you're sitting on the stand accused of his murder and he can't defend himself. 
But Mary Catherine insists that's why she was so afraid of Stephen the night she shot him. And she adds a new detail, claiming Stephen became angry after finding out she wanted to end the relationship. So he started throwing things, started, you know, pushing me around. And that's when I got scared. And I just wanted him out of the house. And then that's the next thing I remember is him lunging at me. And then the next thing that I remember then is him standing there saying, call 911. What she leaves out of her testimony is the moment she pulled the trigger. I never wanted to hurt him. I never wanted anything like that. I didn't even know it was chambered in him. Kate Leonard isn't buying any of it. In her cross-examination, she confronts Mary Catherine for never having complained about Stephen's alleged abuse. Can I give you a minute to show me in those text messages between you and he and you and every other person that was in your cell phone where you talk about him being physically violent? I never talked about it, only with friends. I never texted out. Then, the prosecutor has her own surprise for the court. Hours before killing Stephen, Mary Catherine was searching violent internet pornography sites while at a babysitting job. All of those and many more you looked up when Stephen was not with you. But it was him that liked the Red Room. Is that your testimony? Yes. I looked up things for ideas because obviously he's gone. I wanted to please him. The woman who just told you that she was raped looks at gang rape porn, bondage porn, why would you relive that trauma? Now, Mary Catherine Hignan is about to find out if the jury believes her. Mary Catherine Higdon spared no detail in her emotional testimony about alleged abuse by Stephen Freeman. So at any time I'd stand up for myself or I'd, you know, kind of retaliate. He said, don't, don't hit me, because if you hit me, I'm going to hit you ten times harder. You may proceed. Thank you. Now it's the prosecution's last chance to argue that none of it is true. This is not a case of self-defense. This is a case of manipulation. In closing arguments, Kate Leonard reminds the jury of the different stories Mary Catherine told the police. The gun was tampered. It was an accident. I tossed it. I don't know what happened. I was scared. I was angry. But she did not tell them that she was abused. And the prosecutor does not believe she was. When your abuser is out of the house and you are safe, are you as a victim of domestic violence going to track down your abuser where he is with his friends? Are you going to go and track him down? Does that make sense? The prosecutor says Mary Catherine's rage boiled over on the night of August 1st, 2018, after Stephen finally came home and then refused to eat the dinner that she had prepared. Look at me, Stephen. Look at me, Stephen. And when he doesn't, he is shot in the left side of the neck where you know that he's not facing her. He never sees it coming. In his closing argument, defense attorney Michael Granham's focuses on Stephen's alleged history of abuse. Those were his words. The more you do this, the more you're going to get punished. 
Granums brings up those ugly texts that Stephen sent Mary Catherine a year prior. That torrent of demeaning hatred texts is probably the worst tirade that I've ever seen. And I'm a criminal defense lawyer. Then he recounts Mary Catherine's most serious allegation, that Stephen raped her. And as she's crying and she's telling him it hurts Stephen, stop Stephen, you're hurting me. His answer, well, I spent money on you at Disney, so I'm entitled to this. He insists Mary Catherine saw the same frightening look in Stephen's eyes just before she shot him. Mary Catherine Hayden knew exactly what was coming. Granums demonstrates his point with an unusual prop as a metaphor. Does anybody have any doubt about what's going to happen next? You may now retire to the jury room. As the case heads to the jury, the drama is far from over. I just knew it was a major responsibility. Two of the jurors, Victor and Chris, were feeling the weight of their burden. And I knew pretty much no matter what you vote, one family gets hurt. You destroy one side of that courtroom no matter Mm -hmm. what you vote. Within minutes of getting the case, the jury took its first vote. 10 to two, guilty. But then... And I knew that I was about to be the one to upset that apple cart. So I went ahead and did that. Both Chris and Victor told their fellow jurors that they shared the defense's concerns about the investigation, starting with that lost confession. In the very beginning, I think it was. Inside, I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I know this isn't a major city, but it's audio equipment. She's still in custody. Why are you not going to bring her back in to at least speak with her again? But Mary Catherine had already obtained a lawyer. Where's the gun? And they question why the police moved the gun that was used to shoot Stephen. It's ludicrous to argue that it's easier to move the gun than it was to move her. What also troubled them? Prosecutors had cracked open Mary Catherine's cell phone for texts, social media, and search histories. But they decided not to spend another $1,800 to unlock Stephen's phone. It was too expensive to, do to pay another two grand to crack his phone open and let's see what kind of person he was to try to you know, dispute the rape and abuse allegations or back him up. They didn't do that. But you they could said, already get those messages on Mary Catherine's phone. No, we get the message between them two. We yes. don't get what he was talking about with his homeboys or what he was looking up online. And all Chris that. and Victor say they were left with serious doubts about all of the prosecution's evidence. All of it's tainted from the way the cops handled the investigation. Well, if you don't have any evidence, you don't have a case. I didn't have any proof that she had done much anything except for lying. And those lies didn't seem to bother either juror. If I was being arrested for potentially murdering somebody, I I probably would get scared enough that I would just come up with whatever story I could. But that almost seems like you're making an excuse for her. I'm not making an excuse. I'm I'm just empathizing with the situation. And in toxic relationships, there are mountains and mountains and mountains of lies. By the next afternoon, it was clear. Their arguments had made an impact. And so the jury had a verdict. We, the jury, find as follows. Count one, malice murder. We find the defendant not guilty. Count two, felony murder. We find the defendant not guilty. (laughs) 
not guilty of murder, as well as the lesser charges of assault and possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. And I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, I have failed this family. And that was hard. We did good work on this case. Say that you don't trust the police because of the, the interview. Say you don't trust the forensic evidence. You still have the 911 tapes where she says, I shot my boyfriend. <laughs> Two hours later, Mary Catherine Higdon was a free woman. Oh, I cannot believe this is happening right now. As she watched the woman who killed her son walk free, Jennifer Freeman could barely contain her anger toward the jury. Stephen definitely got the short end of the stick because I don't believe that they even listened. Victor insists he was just following the law. I think she killed him. And that's wrong. But you voted not guilty. Because of the evidence. Am I understanding you correctly to say that because the police screwed up, she's not guilty? I didn't say she's not guilty. She's not in prison. The jury found you not guilty <laughs> on all the charges. Do you feel any guilt? Because I love Steven. And I never meant that to ever happen to him. Mary Catherine Higdon has moved to another state. To honor Stephen, Jennifer Freeman volunteers to raise awareness about domestic violence. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. A twisted love triangle. An ominous ultimatum. I told him it was he had to pick one. A deadly decision. And a surprising clue. One of the biggest pieces of evidence was a KFC bag. The murder of Anna Repkina. 48 hours, Saturday at 10, 9 central on CBS. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill 
to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill. Or text thrill to 500-500. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.